now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, you're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. This show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, and Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings. If you need an opinion, second opinion, or just a thought about insurance and mortgages, these are the experts that you can rely on. Denise and Lori are great people to talk with. Just visit the CFAX website. That's www.cfax1070.com and look under shows to find us. The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe. Their contact information is all there, as is mine as well, too, because I like to remind everyone that if you are looking for an expert realtor to purchase or sell your property, you can always call me because that is what I do the rest of the time when I'm not here at the CFAX station. Uh, So far on past episodes... I've taken you to learn about real estate markets in other towns, such as Vancouver, uh, Toronto, Duncan, uh, Nanaimo. We've been to the Comox Valley and even in Phoenix, Arizona. This week, I'm taking you to lovely Kelowna, B.C. And we'll be talking with Tamara Stone of the Stone Sisters Real Estate Team at REMAX in Kelowna. We'll also have on our show... Dean Jones, who's the owner and CEO of a four-branch operation of Realogics Sotheby's Real Estate in Seattle, Washington. I was just there over the weekend. Uh, I love Seattle. That's sort of like my second home. Uh, Had a great presentation with him on developments and learned a lot about the Seattle market that I wanted to share with you, the listener here. There are so many similarities uh, between Seattle and Vancouver and in many degrees, Victoria as well. It's funny, we often forget about the fact that geographically, we're actually closer to Seattle than we are to Vancouver. Uh, Anyways, I love that town, and I, for one, want to learn a little bit more about what's going on there, and I hope that you as listeners would as well, too. Let's start our show with our usual weekly listener question. If you have a question or curiosity about real estate, you can call us on our hotline, which is 250-414-6540. Or you can find us online again at cfax1070.com, and I'd be happy to discuss it on air. Also, always looking for some great ideas. If you'd like to hear from some guests, experts, and professionals in the the real estate-related industries, just let me know, and I'll set it up. This week, I received an email from Lois, and the question is, what's my recourse if my agent makes a mistake? That's a great question. Uh, you haven't really given me any more uh, information other than that one line. So I think we're going to make a sort of general, broad uh, answer to your question here, Lois. The, the, you know, real estate is a profession that, uh, believe it or not, has very high standards. When I say believe it or not, it's because I, I, I'm aware of the fact that 26 years in the business here, the real estate profession can have a um, uh, it can have a reputation that is not great, and especially what we've seen in Vancouver in the past couple of years, where there's been a lot of shady dealings, especially when a market either goes upwards or downwards really quickly, a lot of mistakes can be made. And from a consumer standpoint, you need to know what is your recourse? What happens if a realtor does make a mistake? We're all human after all. These things do happen. I should tell you that realtors do have to go through uh, a pretty 
um, detailed course before they even get their license. I know all about this, by the way, because I'm one of the instructors for the Provincial Association, for the British Columbia Real Estate Association. Uh, I have been one of the instructors who has been teaching all of the new licensees that have come onto Vancouver Island, both in Victoria at the Victoria Real Estate Board and also up in Nanaimo at the Vancouver Island Real Estate Board. Collectively, that re- represents about 2,500 agents on Vancouver Island. Uh, I've been doing that now for, I think it's about six years. I enjoy doing it. Uh, It's fun. Um, It's great meeting new faces in real estate, forming new minds. Uh, the other thing uh, is it's good for me because it keeps my um, uh, my tool sharp as well, too, and it keeps me fully up to date with a few important things. What we do teach before people get licensed are ethics. Uh, there is a, a code of conduct. Um, there's a lot of legal issues that realtors need to be aware of. It's not just a simple matter of paying your licensing dues, getting your license, and boom, you're out there in the streets selling real estate. That sounds a little more like the United States. Uh, hear about that in California. There's a long-running joke in California about the fact that there are more real estate licenses than driver's licenses. Uh, here, it's a little more strict because, first of all, you need to pass a test before you even uh, uh, get to um, take your applied practice course. For those of you who know about the test or you've tried it, um, it is actually somewhat difficult. The failure rate uh, is higher than many would expect. I think you need to get 65% to pass right now. Uh, A lot of it is uh, uh, mathematical questions, uh, again, ethics, uh, and, and a number of other things. So when people take their applied practice course, which we do online, by the way, for two weeks, I find it a very interesting way to, to teach students, actually, because in the old days when we used to teach in a classroom, uh, that's fine. You know, the teacher speaks, the students listen. Although the teacher never gets a sense or impression as to how much the this, this student is absorbing. And the neat thing about online learning is we do because you need to respond and participate in discussion groups and things like that. After the two-week online course, uh, they need to spend two days in class with an instructor. Again, I'm one of them, uh, going through different scenarios. We do role play, actually, uh, talking about how to take care of clients when they're buying and how to take care of them when they're selling. Uh, and then they get their learner's license, kind of like the you know the L that you find on uh, kids' cars when they're getting their driver's license now, followed by four and a half months of, of um, basically a number of different programs that is overseen by their managing broker. So right now there is a high level of education. However, you know, this is all relatively recent. Like this type of learning has only been around for, like I said, about five years. Um, I have to say there's a lot of licensees who have been out there for a very long time and they keep uh, their education at a minimum. What that means is we need to go through classes and obtain a, a number of credits every two years to maintain our license. There are licensees in the province, I'm not talking about Victoria here, but in the province, who um, only do what they have to do. And they only do it because they have to. Ma- that's what they need to do to maintain their license. Um, I think that's a problem. And it's a problem that we bump into with some bad behavior. So going back to what Lois said, if a licensee doesn't have enough practice and isn't educating themselves enough and does a mistake, your recourse, first of all, is you're going to want to talk to their managing broker. 
Every agent is overseen by a managing broker. Even people like myself who've been around for 26 years, the managing broker is responsible for everything that happens within the brokerage. That's a big responsibility because in the case of big offices, that means 100 people, 200 people. In Vancouver, there's a brokerage that's got 1,200 people. So the managing broker is responsible for the every single action that their licensees do. If you don't get a remedy from the managing broker, there is the local real estate board. So if you're in Victoria, it's the Victoria Real Estate Board. There is a professional standards committee that is overseen by a staff member. And there is an avenue there for you to apply and make a complaint, and uh, it will be heard. Uh, we are a self-policing industry, and it's important for us to make sure that all consumer complaints like yours are heard. Uh, now, if you don't find any remedy from that, there is another route, and that is the Real Estate Council. The council actually is the organization that uh, handles licensing. You see, the Real Estate Board doesn't have the power to take away a realtor's license. The council, on the other hand, gave them their license and therefore can take their license away and also find them based on the um, based on what they've done. So uh, those are your remedies. Um, the last thing I should say is that realtors, we do all have an errors and omissions insurance. Uh, so uh, realtors are, are covered in the event that mistakes happen because, like I said, mistakes do happen. That would be your recourse uh, for the listeners here. If you have any further questions about real estate, the real estate market, the function of real estate, or questions like this, like how to make a complaint, just um, let us know. We'd be happy to answer your question online here. Again, follow us or go to cfax1070.com uh, or call our hotline at 250-414-6540 and I'd be happy to bring it up. Another thing too, don't forget, we do have podcasts here. So if you're an iTunes or Google Play listener, just find us. It's The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe and there you'll find our prior episodes uh, going way back. Uh, uh, it's been a while now. Really enjoying uh, doing this here and answering your questions. Anyways, we're going to take a quick break here, uh, after which we're going to have a conversation, actually first, with our show partner, Lori Zorn, about insurance. Back in just a moment. Hey there, you're joining us on The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Today I'm taking you for a trip to Kelowna, B.C., and also we'll be talking with an agent in Seattle, Washington, about real estate in different areas. But right now on the line, we have our show partner, Lori Zorn, who's the insurance manager for Island Savings. Lori, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Tony. You know, I, the reason why I wanted to have you online today was a question has come up a fair amount recently with people who are buying homes. Uh, as you know, most of the time in offers, they are subject to the buyer getting insurance for the home. That's right. And, more and more, we're noticing that. Yeah, and and the the we had a couple of sets of buyers recently that were kind of scared because they're like, oh, I don't know what this means. Like, what happens if we don't get insurance? You know, what is the process that we have to get through in order to remove that condition? So I I wanted to uh, address that today with you online. Right. Yeah. I can I can go over that with you. Um, it's there's always insurance available, right? Okay. But it's always best um, before they start going down that road, you know, they're looking at mortgages and stuff like that. Why not at that point to talk to your insurance advisor? This is a good point because it seems to me that usually that's the thing that is left to last. That's right. And it shouldn't be. It should be one of the first things along with your mortgage 
check with your insurance advisor because there's so many things that um, insurance companies are looking for these days. If you're purchasing a newer home, um, by that time, most of the bylaws um, are up to date and things like that. It's more the older homes that insurance companies are are looking to review a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, Rebuilding costs on a home 1930 and older uh, cost more. Right, people buy these homes for the character. Mm-hmm. To get the character, costs more money these days to replace, like your cove ceilings and inlaid wood, and you know, it's it's, it's, it's the old. They don't build them like they used to. You got it. Yeah, you got it. So you've got to make sure. Sometimes they'll request an appraisal on the home. Um, they'll pay for it, right? Mm-hmm. Most insurance companies will pay for those appraisals, but they're also looking for knob and tube, asbestos, um, that things have been upgraded, your wiring, your plumbing, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So if you know ahead of time what you're looking for, and then when you get your inspection on the home, because most people will have an inspection done, because you know, you've had people on, on the radio show um, that talk about getting inspections done. Or even getting them done before an offer is made in the case of a a busy market, right? Yep, absolutely. And at that time, um, if if, if there is asbestos, you know, then sometimes you can work that into the deal for the removal and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. So there's so many different things. And as I said, it's important that you check with your insurance broker first. Yeah, so have a good relationship with your uh, insurance broker just the same as you do with your mortgage broker and your real estate broker, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. um, as I said, that's usually the last thing that people people think of and then at the last minute we're all scrambling. Yeah. So so here's the other thing because you know we know that common problems are things like knob and tube wiring and uh, older oil tanks in houses. Yeah. And we still get it uh, almost every week where a buyer says, "Well, if the current owner has insurance on the house and the house is knob and tube and oil tank, doesn't that mean that I should easily be able to get insurance too? No, because a lot of times, sometimes it's grandfathered. Mm-hmm. So they're starting away, like brand new, all over again, right? So Yeah, I mean, it, it, in the case of like the under, the, the oil storage tank thing, I mean, this wasn't yeah. even an issue, um, nope. what, like six years ago, seven years ago? Yeah, they, it was starting. I want to say it was starting about 10 years okay. ago. Um, but at this point, you know, if if there's a buried oil tank somewhere, I don't really know of any insurance company um, that will say that that's okay. Mm-hmm. They'll say that that has to has to be remediated or taken out. Yeah, and we've talked about that on the show here before. The problem about underground oil storage tanks is until such time as you dig down and, and see if there's mm-hmm. any oil leakage, um, it's too much of a risk for anyone environmentally, right? Environmentally, that contamination, it, it can go for a long way. And I think I told you that we had one up in Swan, above Swan Lake, and it went for like two blocks down into the lake. Wow. So, and they, the environmentalists had to track it, right? And to remediate something like that, it's thousands and thousands. Yeah, like hundreds of thousands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you don't want that. You don't want that responsibility. Um, off the top of your head, this this might be a tough question to answer, and I apologize for not having prepared you first, Lori. <laughs> okay, but I but I know you. I know you know your stuff. Um, when somebody is making an application for insurance for a home they want to buy, how much of the application is reliant on the house, and how much is it is reliant on the person? You know that. I want to say that's probably a 50-50 thing. Really? 
So, yeah, it, it's the house and, and the person. We've got to ask these questions. They want to know what their previous insurance record is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I have talked about this before. People should not be making claims for little things. You know, I've had people that have missed, you know, they've maybe had a $700 pair of sunglasses and they've got a $500 deductible. Well, they think the insurance should kick in for that 200 That is a claim on your record. So insurance companies, they get kind of fussy when they start seeing two, three, four claims on somebody's insurance. So then it gets tougher and tougher for us to place it somewhere. Interesting. So you've got to make sure that if you are going to put a claim in an insurance company, make sure it's worth your while. Yes. Because most companies will give a claims-free discount, and, and if you lose that, it takes nearly up to five years to rebuild that again. So, again, you've got to have those conversations with your broker um, so that they explain these things to you and advise you when you should be making a claim and maybe you should be not making a claim, you know? God is. Uh, Hey, hey, so, so, so here's a question because there, there's a number of different insurance um, providers out there, different companies, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so if somebody has had a blemish on their insurance record, they can, all know about it. They all know about it. So there's a database where where records are kept, right? Yeah. So as soon as you sign those application forms, um, it allows the insurance. You're giving permission to the insurance company to do what they call a hit. So there, there is. They can go and check where there's been a claim on that property and check to see if it's you. Um, yeah, so th- they know, right? And you know what? Sometimes I had one couple, they had two claims in one year, and they had never had claims before, ever. It was just an unfortunate thing, mm-hmm. and I was able to find insurance for them um, because we could explain, right? Yes. But it's, yeah. Well, you know what? i got to tell you, that's my lesson for today and probably for yeah. listeners, too. I did not know that the insurance companies um, had that sort of database where they could share mm-hmm. information uh, about yeah. past claims on both people and properties. Yep, yeah. yeah, exactly. So you got to be careful because and right in the applications, they're saying, have you ever been declined insurance by another company? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have, and you're ticking off, oh, no, I haven't, and you have, that can really cause some, some issues, right? Well, so important to know. So finally, the, the last thing, too, is you said uh, off the bat at the beginning of our conversation, you can people will be able to find insurance. So, <laughs> but... But it, there's a cost to it, right? Okay. Yeah, you always can find, we can always find you insurance, but there's hard-to-place risk, mm-hmm. and along with that hard-to-place risk comes a lot of money. Well, that's just the same as mortgages too. Like if somebody's had a blemish in their credit mm-hmm. history and they can't find a traditional mortgage, they can go elsewhere, but they're paying more for that service, right? Yeah, yeah you got it. Yeah, same. it's the same thing. Okay. All right. Uh, Lori, always great to have you on now. If people need to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Yep. They can phone me at 250-413-2028 or they can email me at l. For Lori Zorn, Z-O-R-N, at Island Savings with an S on the end, dot C-A. Yeah, and the other thing I, I want to do is a little call-out for you here, too, because I know you've been telling me um, the CFAX listeners have been taking you up on your offer, so you've been telling people if they want a review of their insurance policies, they can get in touch They're with happy. you. And I understand yeah. they have been getting in touch with you, right? Yes, yes. We've had some great conversations with your CFAX listeners, and... You know, I'm just always happy to add in that advice piece and review policies, see what they have, and, you know, 
just take a look and, and do some advising for them. Great. Well, hey, thanks for supporting our show. That's Lori Zorn, Insurance Manager for Island Savings. We're going to take a, a quick little break right now. And when we get back, I'm taking you for a tour to Kelowna and also to Seattle, Washington. We'll be back in just a moment. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Just a reminder that our show is brought to you in part by Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Services Modern Mortgage Group, and Lori Zorn, insurance manager for Island Savings. And we just had Lori on uh, talking about home insurance and teaching teaching me, anyways, uh, things I never knew before. So uh, as a reminder, if you need an opinion from experts in insurance and mortgages, Denise and Lori are great people to talk with. You can find their contact information on the CFAX 1070 website. Just look under Shows, and you'll find us, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe, along with their contact information. A reminder as well, too, if you were struggling to find yourself a pen and paper to write down notes from either that conversation or one we're just about to have here, you can find us, uh, our podcast, on iTunes or Google Play. So download and listen at your leisure. Uh, I do like taking you, our listeners, on trips every once in a while. We've been all over the place. We've been to Vancouver, Toronto, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Up Island uh, as well, too. Right now, on the line, we have with us Tamara Stone. She is of the Stone Sisters Real Estate Team at Remax Kelowna, because we're going to be talking about Kelowna. Tamara, thanks for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me. Uh, Tamara, uh, so let's get right to it. What's happening in the Kelowna real estate market? It is, it's wonderful. It's a really, really robust market. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, of course, I think across BC anyway, um, was a record-breaking year. Uh, and Kelowna was no exception to that. We were very, very busy for sales in 2016. And 2017 year-to-date, while isn't quite as robust as last year, we're, we're on track to, to still break all kinds of records. You know, it, it's, it's amazing because when, when people think Canada, like the, the markets in Canada, of course, they always think about Vancouver first because it's basically ground zero of all the crazy things that are happening in real estate. And yeah. then they talk about Vancouver, but from a affordability standpoint, uh, Victoria is after Toronto as far as highest prices. But, but it's a little known fact that Kelowna, too, is very expensive. And I think it falls in right behind Victoria, right? It does. It does. Currently, our average house price right now is six hundred and forty-four thousand. Yeah. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, because we we were talking Calgary a little while ago, um, that that's expensive for Calgary standards, right? Oh, absolutely. It's expensive for anyone's standards. You know, in, in comparison, this time last year, the average house price was five hundred and sixty-nine thousand. Wow, that's quite. So we're up. It's a it's a big jump. Yes. What's the percentage you know, on that? Oh, well, it's up there. Something like that. Huh? <laughs> okay. Hey, sorry, I didn't mean to throw a math question at you. <laughs> um, hey, so here's something that I wanted to talk with you about. You know, the whole foreign buyer tax was implemented in Vancouver last August, mm-hmm. and in my marketplace here in Victoria, and I know yours in Kelowna as well too. There was a lot of discussion about. Okay, well. If Vancouver's got this 15% foreign tax, it's going to deflect all of the interest for investors to either the West Victoria or to the East Kelowna. What do you say about that? Um, you know, I don't really think that we've, you know, according to our real estate boards, the percentage of people who buy buy here in the central Okanagan from outside Canada account for just over 1% of our sales. 
Tiny. And it, tiny. Now, what we were seeing when, when Vancouver is, you know, I think Kelowna's market has done so well, so extraordinarily well, mm-hmm. because, you know, the impact of foreign buyers purchasing in Vancouver mm-hmm. and those, those Vancouver, you know, people who are now sellers and have sold their homes have been moving to the Okanagan. That's, that's been the big driving force, and that's why our market has done so well. Well, that's the same as Victoria, too, because I was doing some numbers. I think for, for us, for my team, I think we did uh, 20% of our business last year was Vancouverites that moved to Victoria. Yes. Do you know, of our listings, I was just running those numbers. Uh, and for our listings this year, 62% of our listings that have sold have sold to people coming from Vancouver. 62%. 62. Now, that's, that's very different. Our, our real estate board is, is saying that the lower mainland's accounting for about 22%. Yeah. But, but according to our numbers, which, which are, are really accurate, whereas the board only gets about 30 to 40 percent of people responding to the survey. Mm-hmm. But, so they're saying 22 percent, but we are 62 percent of our, of our sales this year are, are coming from the lower mainland. Yeah. Now, could this have to do with the properties that you're generally handling? Like, I mean, I've been on your website, yeah. which, is, which, by the way, is stonesisters.com, right? Thank you. It is. Okay. Yes. Uh, I've been to your website and I, I know that you've got a lot of nice higher end properties. But, you know, when I look at that, uh, I can't remember which one, but even that $1.2 million uh, in Kelowna, that to me looks like a $4 million Vancouver house. Absolutely. And, and we frequently hear that, you know, people, people coming from the coast um, who are just saying, you know, a home here. And to us, you know, with an average price of six forty four. And that will get you a, a very comfortable, very nice home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be newer. It can even have a bit of a lake view. When you start to get at that million dollar, you know, one, two, one, three, you're getting something that's really spectacular and that would cost double or triple or more um, in Vancouver. Interesting. We're on the line right now with Tamara Stone from the Stone Sisters Group at Remax in Kelowna, talking about what's going out there in Kelowna. So one of the, th- you know, the thing that, that you just uncovered for me is how minimal that whole foreign invasion is in your marketplace. Beca- Absolutely. Because, Absolutely. you know, e- even in Victoria, it's not a large figure. So the question is, where do they go? And I think they're still going to Vancouver. Absolutely. I, I really do think that they are still going to Vancouver. And I think, you know, I think there are ways to, to sort of work around the tax or really it's just the cost of doing business and, and the price you pay to, to enter into a beautiful market like, you know, Canada's housing market and, and to get into this country. Has there been conversation in Kelowna about uh, foreign tax or vacancy tax? No, there has not. You know, we, we don't see a lot of that. But the last time our real estate market really boomed, which was back in 2007, yeah. up until the early part of 2008, we were seeing a lot of, of vacant homes, people buying. At that point, it was it was the Alberta. Albertans, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that would have been, you know, 30 to 40 percent of our market was, was people coming here from Alberta. Mm-hmm. And, and really, they were just looking for a place to invest money, generally speaking. They, you know, a lot of them weren't making this their full-time residence. Yeah. Whereas now what we're seeing is people that are moving here, you know, there are some people that are, are purchasing vacation homes or what have you, but given the size that Kelowna is growing to, with a busy international airport, a big hospital, you know, we, we've got some infrastructure here and, and some employment. People are moving here and, and living in the houses. Oh, and you've got great hot summers and great skiing in the wintertime. Yes. And wineries. Do not forget about the wineries. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, there is that. Well, you know, we're, I'm always arguing with our buddy Jerry Hendricks in uh, St. Catharines there about uh, yes. Ontario wineries versus BC. Anyways, that's a whole other story altogether, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'll be on that next call, too, with you. Okay, <laughs> great, 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 great. We'll, we'll sick you on him. Um, so, uh, 
you know, I'm not not meaning to belabor this whole foreign conversation, but you know, yeah. it's 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 important to address here. Um, okay. So you're you're saying there's not a lot of foreign money. Um, you've said that a lot of the prior money was coming in from Alberta. Where is that Alberta money now? Is it it's just still coming in? Because you said you're doing sixty percent um, Vancouver Lower Mainland, right? Yes, it, we are. We are seeing people moving here from Alberta, or purchasing from Alberta, but the numbers are, are down dramatically. Yeah. And you know, according to our real estate board, nine percent mm-hmm. of our sales last month were were from Alberta. Um, you know, Alberta buyers. Yeah. But it it has really really slowed down as you know as as that economy recovers. Yeah. You know, people don't have a lot of disposable income then and to purchase properties here. Yeah, well, you know, that's consistent with us as well too. I remember when that figure was larger, particularly when the Albertans were buying the high end properties about ten years ago, like you said, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. And and they're not now. Now it's the Vancouverites. So you know, I, I've often joked when people talk about foreign buyers in Victoria, um, we're really referring to the Vancouverites. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, is it your observation that a lot of these Vancouverites are younger families? Yes, and that's something that's really interesting because Kelowna, well, probably, Tony, just like in Victoria, Kelowna has been known as, you know, it, I mean, way back in 1992, we were the retirement capital of Canada. Yes. Yeah. You know, beautiful place to come and retire. We weren't known for a lot of employment and you know, it was a nice place to come and wind down. Mm-hmm. And that has really shifted. That's actually something that, that we're noticing a lot of is, is, you know, the majority of the people that we're seeing move in, you know, some of them are, are late 20s. But yeah. if there's a typical age group, I would say 35 to 45. Wow. Um, and moving here because, you know, it is more affordable. We've got excellent schools, yeah, big enough town that there's enough for, for kids to do. And, you know, enough, you know, diverse interest, whether it's, it's sports or, or dance or music, but not so big that you get lost in the, uh, in the crowd. Everybody loves Kelowna. Thanks for joining us, Tamara. You and your sister Shannon are amazing. Uh, I have to say, you, get, you finished up like number 12 at Remax last year, which is unbelievable. I was a lowly number 70, so I bow to you. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but you, you are great. If people need to reach you, uh, stonesisters.com. What's your phone number? Uh, 250-878-0773. That's great. Thanks for coming on. We'll speak soon. You bet. We'll take a quick little... Tony. (laughs) Thank you. We'll take a quick little break. Back in just a moment. Hey there, you're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Today, I'm taking you for a trip. We just got off the phone with Tamara Stone in Kelowna, talking about the real estate market there. Uh, Right now, we have on the line in Seattle, Dean Jones, who's the owner and CEO of Realogics Sotheby's Real Estate in Seattle, Washington. Dean, thanks for coming online with us. Great to be with you. Yeah, so Dean, I, I thank you very much, first of all, for hosting us the other day. Uh, I was down for the Asian Real Estate Association's uh, little summit between Portland, Seattle, and Vancouver, and you had us in your office talking about Nexus. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to get you online here is that I learned so much about Seattle. Seattle's kind of like my second home because I, whenever I need to get away for a day or a couple of days, Seattle's my first choice. Believe it or not, it's not Vancouver. Um, but I wanted to cover a few things that you talked about with us. Um, first of all, what is the state of the market in Seattle right now? It's booming hot, and it probably feels a little bit like Vancouver because, in a way, we're following the similar trajectory that Vancouver experienced with the urbanization of the center city. Of course, a lot of international interest now, uh, but we're also seeing a massive influence from 
the California market, specifically Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of those tech titans have decided to build their urban campuses right in downtown Seattle, which is a uh, population of about 70,000 people. Yeah. Uh, but uh, given all the jobs, it's actually the fastest-growing large city in the U.S. And just today, S&P K. Schiller confirmed for the ninth month in a row that the Seattle metro area has the fastest rising median home prices in the U.S., uh, 13.3% median home price increase year over year. So we are experiencing tremendous demand, uh, but in the for sale side of the equation, actually very little supply. Okay. So uh, we're get, we'll talk about that in a second because this is an important point. But I, I want to loop back to what you just said about the Californians coming to um, the businesses coming to Washington State to Seattle. Well, what's the drive there? Why are they not just staying in California? Well, we're relatively affordable compared to most of the other West Coast gateway markets. Uh, if you look at median household incomes and divide that into median home prices, you can see that our affordability is much greater. Although it is rising quickly, as I just mentioned. Yeah. But the uh, you know Amazon is obviously a homegrown. Uh, company and will have uh, upwards of 12 million square feet of campus. Most of that's downtown Seattle and approximately 40,000 employees. So it's a major catalyst for, uh, you know, tech workers. And if you're in tech and you're a millennial, there's a good chance that Seattle's on your radar. <laughs> and it, it's followed uh, now by the others. And it's amazing because you've got that map in your office that shows the overhead of downtown. And you said there's like 43... Uh, properties that Amazon has in the surrounding neighborhood? Yes, they either own or lease uh, nearly 12 million square feet of office space. And Google does too, right? Google is uh, currently under construction with about a million square foot uh, campus right at the South uh, Southwest Union Market. Uh, Facebook just occupied theirs last last year. Mm-hmm. Apple is growing. Um, we have Alibaba. We've got Adobe. We've got numerous other tech companies. And, and the reason that Seattle's on their radar is that, again, we've got abundant uh, supply of these well-educated tech workers. Um, they've learned that it's easier to recruit and retain employees in the Seattle area uh, because of its affordability and its overall lifestyle, mm-hmm. whereas compared to San Francisco or the Bay Area, for instance, Silicon Valley, not only is it a much more expensive cost of living, but you have state income tax. Washington oh. State has no state income tax. Interesting. Yeah, and of course, Silicon Valley has, has long held being one of the most expensive real estate uh, areas in the United States, right? Absolutely. And it's just simply not palatable for, especially the entry-level uh, positions in the tech realm. Um, but it's, it's commonly known now that, on average, our tech workers in downtown Seattle are making well over $100,000 a year. And, uh, you know, they do not need a car. That's an increasing trend, kind of a Manhattan moment, if you will, yeah. uh, where we are selling brand-new condominiums, upwards of six, dollars $700,000 even, mm-hmm. uh, without parking. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, actually, who, who wants to drive? Because we tried to park the other day, and that's hard enough. Right. Yeah, no, we're, uh, unlike Vancouver, I'm not sure about Victoria, but uh, our rideshare programs with Uber and Lyft yeah. uh, and some others are very successful. Yeah, I mean, you made that comment the other day about the fact that realtors, when they're showing houses, they don't even drive. They use they use uh, rideshare, right? It's, it's not just the cost of buying the parking stall or having it included with your 
home, but it's obviously the maintenance of the vehicle. And then, of course, the tickets that you're getting because everyone's trying to park in every square corner they can in downtown Seattle. And we're just basically unable to occupy all these cars. Yeah. Traffic is terrible. Yeah. And you and you said a parking stall is $100,000. We are selling, yeah, between sixty dollars and $125,000 downtown Seattle. That's what they're trading for now. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, switching gears just a quick little bit here. Uh, we have on the line right now Dean Jones from Seattle at uh, Realogic Sotheby's Real Estate. Um, now, the Vancouver foreign buyer tax was implemented last August. And this had a number of consequences because naturally the intention was to prevent uh, offshore money coming in, uh, escalating prices. But there was a consequence of the tech industry and people who were coming up to Vancouver. They, you know, hiring good talent to come to Vancouver and work, but they did not qualify as residents because they were foreigners, right? Um, Correct. As a result of that tax, what has happened to Seattle? Almost immediately from the imposition of that tax, which was, uh, I believe it was August 2nd, uh, Seattle made many headlines uh, regionally and internationally for being the next Vancouver. (laughs) We saw, by one account, through Juwai, which is a popular overseas portal of China uh, for real estate, Mm -hmm. uh, that Vancouver had one of the the greatest declines of visitation and searches on that website. Seattle had one of the greatest increases. Uh, as did Toronto, by the way, until Toronto followed the same tone. In, in April. Creating yeah. a 15% tax, yeah. Um, but, you know, we had seen a steady stream of interest, increasing interest in the Seattle metro area. Um, it goes back, I mean, I've been building my agent services group since 2012 and had gone to China many times a year, but haven't in the last 18 months because, frankly, they're coming here. Uh, we've got numerous direct flights now by Delta Airlines, Hainan Airlines, um, Shimen Airlines, and, uh, and others uh, to mainland China. Mm-hmm. And the combination of our close proximity, we're the closest mainland port in the U.S. to, to Asia, uh, as well as the trajectory of investment criteria, we're seeing you know, double-digit median home price increases. Um, and I think broadly viewed as the next gateway market on the West Coast, that's half the price of Vancouver, a third less than San Francisco, but growing faster than both. Yes. Um, and that is a powerful elixir for overseas investment. Most definitely is. I, I looked at some stats when I was there uh, for the ARIA conference as well, too. First of all, I didn't realize how much bigger Seattle is to Vancouver, because Vancouver's 2.7 million. You guys are like 3.4 or something, right? Yeah, the metro area, but I would say that our actual cities uh, downtown, which are both effectively islands, uh, are very similar size. Yeah. Uh, But you have a much greater population, more of a bedroom community, uh, more established urban residential market than Seattle. I would say, you know, Seattle downtown population is about, as I said, 70,000 people, but only kind of came into its own in the last 10 years. Got it. Got it. Um, It's growing so quickly. Now, something you alluded to a little bit earlier here, and this, this was something that really piqued my interest when I was there uh, the other day. We were talking inventory, and you had made the comment that there's very little new build ownership units in Seattle uh, because they've been building rentals for all this time. So uh, elaborate on that. To, yeah, tell us about what that's all about. So 
Yeah, there's a couple of headwinds for building for sale. Um, it's not a lack of demand, quite the opposite. There's ample demand for new for sale. Uh, but the for rent market has been so strong for so long. Yeah. Uh, since 2010, when the market awoke from a pretty significant correction with the credit crunch there and the Great Recession, um, the only kind of financing that was out there for building anything was really uh, apartments. And they were wow. you know, a lot safer for yeah. developers. Rents have grown by 50% in Seattle since 2010, and cap rates have dropped on average from, say, you know, 5%, now they're below 4% or in the high threes. And what that means is these apartment buildings are just as profitable as building condos, and developers have figured out that they can sell to one institution who are waiting in line to buy these trophy assets in a fast-growing city. and in, in, instead of having to sell 150 to 150 buyers, you got it. Let alone 400 or more. Yeah. A couple of other things are also of issue. We have legislation that is called the Washington Condominium Act, and it basically provides consumer protection in pre-sales, uh, designed around let's limit the amount of deposit structure a buyer will have at risk during pre-sales. And let's also keep the developer on the hook for any uh, construction liabilities for four years after occupancy. Wow. So developers are looking at the fact that they can only collect uh, 5% liquidated damage uh, during the deposit structure, uh, say, two years before occupancy, then they're on the hook for the next four years. And they're like, that's just not enough to get in the game for developers to feel really comfortable uh, building speculative condominiums. Well, thanks for coming on our show here. There's so much to learn about what's happening in the Seattle marketplace there. Thank you very much, Dean. Great to be with you. If you need to get in touch with Dean, he's at Relogic Sotheby's International Realty in Seattle. The office number there is area code 206-448-5752. That's 206-448-5752. I think there's some really good opportunities in Seattle for those looking for investment. I mean, just what we were talking about as far as the return, you know, people are getting much better rates of return uh, in Seattle area than Vancouver. Uh, of course, knowing that there is a lot of growth happening there too, it makes for a uh, compelling argument about uh, places to increase or, or um, add to your real estate portfolio, especially knowing now that uh, Vancouver's returns aren't as high. You know, Dean was talking about uh, cap rates of 4%. I don't think Vancouver's seen that for a while. It's a little closer to 2 In fact, that cap rate in Victoria uh, is about 4% as well. So it's about the same. But having all the amenities of, of Seattle, that's just a really good combination, I think. Um, anyways, everyone, just a reminder, if you have a question you'd like answered about real estate on our show, visit the cfax1070.com website. Or you can always download our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Thank you very much for joining us this week. As always, we'll be here for you again this time next week.